0: Fast Forward Productions, the women are speaking. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the One Broke Actress Podcast, an honest account of actor life plus a few lessons I learned in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, and today I am bringing you our guest, Michelle Meredith. Now, the funny thing is that Michelle has had multiple friends in multiple arenas all on the same podcast. You'll hear us mention her manager, Michael Kaufman from MRK Management, her roommate, Kristen Bajorge, all the way back from season three. There is so much connection the two of us have, and it's funny because this was the first time we've actually talked to each other. I feel like I know Michelle so well, though. Perhaps you saw her in the horror comedy movie Kappa Kappa Die and a stint on a handful of well-known network shows like Blackish or Grey's Anatomy. She has an upcoming film called My Divorce Party and she is also recurring on the show. It's a little one. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called The Morning Show. It's on Apple. It's a whole startup. I don't know. We are talking all things from the beginning of Hollywood to what she does in her in-between time and how honest she is about how much in-between time she actually has how she stayed present on set when she didn't have a ton of lines to work with for her character. And we also touch on Hollywood body image in this episode, celebrities in fat suits it's a big popular topic right now, Renée Zellweger. We talk the body standards for women based on our perceived ideas of them versus what Hollywood is actually casting and how the idea that she doesn't look like what you'd think a classic Hollywood actress would look like actually stopped her from telling people originally from the Midwest that she was an actor. I vibe with this so much. I know exactly what she's talking about and you'll hear me just shaking my head in the background so vehemently on much of this podcast. Michelle is a wealth of information, but also she is so brutally honest and she is exactly our kind of people. So without further ado, please enjoy Michelle Meredith. Your roommate has been a guest on this podcast and like four years ago, she was like, you need to meet my roommate. She's killing it.
1: Oh. Yeah, I'm, she was been like, you I've out. I've been listening to this podcast since you started. Like, I feel like I know you, but I don't think we've technically ever met.
0: This is the – I know we sound checked on Tuesday, but also this is the first time we've actually talked, but I feel like I talk to you every day.
1: Right. <laughs> I do. I don't very, like, excessive with the DMs. Parasocial relationships are a powerful thing, and I'm just like, we're friends. I'm going to comment on everything.
0: Well, also you share like really fun stories. I don't know. I just like it. I feel like it. it's a vibe. You have like a very good aesthetic Thank to your you. stuff. <laughs> and now you're like, you know, an award nominated actress. So
1: crazy. <laughs> we'll
0: That's get stupid. into that. I know it's so cool. <laughs> did you did you ever feel like when you got the job
1: on the morning show? Were you like, this is going to be pretty solid? Well, when I got the job first, I I had auditioned and had a producer session with the showrunner and Mimi Leader, who was directing the pilot at the time for a completely different part. And then they turned around and offered this character that was like in the writing staff, and they kind of pitched it as sort of a Greek chorus for the show. When I got it, I knew it was a big deal just because of the people involved with Jen Aniston and Reese and Steve Carell. It's like,
0: yeah, were those names be a already, big show? Those were
1: already attached, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in that sense, I knew it was a big deal just, just to be involved in something with that kind of star power, but I had no idea it was Apple's flagship show. You know, there were just so many unknowns about it. And my, when I got the pilot, I didn't have any lines, and my reps were like, this is unacceptable. They really like went to bat for me and they were like, you don't have to take this. We don't, we, we believe in you. We think that something bigger is on the horizon. Like they kind of encouraged me to pass. Um, and I, I just was like, no, I'm going to take the job. I really want to (laughs) work. And I'm really glad that I did.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What is that deciding factor? Because I get, I get auditions like that all the time. It's like a no line co-star or something like that. So having gone through that entire process to me, I would be feel like, oh, well, this this feels like it matters. Did the process it take to get there to do a producer session to get there, did that influence your decision to do it?
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, Vicky Thomas was cast, is ca- the casting director and she had called me in for so many things before then. I just trusted her taste, her her opinions, what she was explaining. She was like, don't worry that like, you're gonna have more to do on the show. It's just such a huge ensemble. And I just wasn't in a position at the time to be turning. I, I don't turn down auditions hardly ever. I think I can count on one hand the number of auditions I've ever been like, this isn't the right fit for me um, because you just never know. And I'm broke. right, right. <laughs> like Who am I to be like, no, no, not this project. Like I'm just not, <laughs> no one's sending me scripts. Like, please, will you come do this? You know, I'm still on the ground floor and, and I wanted to take the job. I wanted to work. I wanted to be on set, even if that meant no lines, even if it was felt like glorified background work. It's like, Glorified background work where I get to watch Steve Carell do an, a monologue for eight hours is pretty incredible and a great opportunity. Yeah, tell me about what you learned on that set. Oh, so much. I think. I think the biggest gift was just getting to be on set semi-regularly. I mean, mm-hmm. you get comfortable... You you get to know your castmates. You get to know the crew. You don't feel like an imposter or or like you're a guest in someone's home and you don't want to break anything, you know? That's such a great description
0: of being a guest star or a co-star. It does – I always like it. I'm like, it's like you show up to a party and you don't know anyone. So you're like – Hi, I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Sam. You know, exactly. Like yeah, you're gentle. just walking
1: on eggshells like, I just want to do it right. And hopefully they like me and maybe they'll call me them. Like, it's you exist in apology when you're, you know, a one day guest in something. And I'm sure you experience this too. But like, when you're a recur, every time you come back, you feel more and more comfortable and it allows you to do your job better. And most of my job on the morning show is creating an atmosphere that feels lived in, that feels like a working environment that we all know each other and that we do the same things every day and we're on the phone and we're, you know, watching playback or writing copy. Like it's very, it's a, it's a environment role, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a vibe. No, there is something, there's so, when you walk in and you know the name of the person who's doing your hair and makeup It just, it's like, I'm not, I'm not meeting someone new today. I'm going to meet 10,000 other new people on set. Of course, there's always new directors and new like background and co-stars and guest stars and all that stuff. But just like having the ground level of knowing the people who are going to touch your face first thing is
1: so nice. It's so nice to know the PA or the, the second AD or anyone that's greeting you, getting to talk to them on a more personal level and have a shorthand and just, it, it makes a world of difference. Now, when you, when you were offered this as, you know, no
0: lines, but this is kind of the role, then when the role shifted and it's like, this is what it is, would you accept being one of the writers on the show? Yeah. Did you feel like you developed a character for that? What how, What's your acting process for something like that?
1: Yeah, I get that. I think for this show in particular, the approach Even though it's not like a mockumentary or anything, I I guess the best thing I can think of is something like The Office, where it just, it feels more like just me as myself if I chose a different path in life, because if I wasn't an actress and I decided to get a normal nine to five, not that working on a morning, a morning news show would be nine to five, but you get the idea. (laughs) Um, Like a a three to three. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. With, with both the assistant character and with um, Lindsay, the character I ended up playing, they're mostly just versions of me in, in that specific setting. So I didn't have like a super clear cut character. In fact, when I did the callback, I think, I think it was, Carrie Aaron, who kind of called me out when I first did the scene. And she goes, you're doing a voice. You're doing a thing. Can you just do your own voice? Because I was kind of doing the secretary like, hi, um, hold, please. Um, he's not available. And she's like, don't do that. <laughs> it's like everyone's waiter voice. Exactly. Yeah. You're like a little nervous, but it's like everyone has that sort of service service persona. And I think I was putting it on too much. And she's like, no, 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 just do. I can tell that's not your real voice. I'm like, oh, that's fair. and I, And that note alone helps guide me into the idea that it's like, no, we're just people who exist in this space. You know, whether I'm Chip's assistant or I'm a writer producer, it's still me doing it and existing in that space. Are you
0: seeing more and more auditions like that?
1: Yes, one hundred percent. And the more I tape, I have some friends that I tape with regularly, and we've both been giving each other those same notes where it's like you're doing the voice thing you're you're trying to put on something, and what they really want is just realism and honesty. And nine times out of ten that that's that's the take that you want to go with, even though yeah. you feel like, oh no, this character's supposed to be this way. It's like, mm, this is more honest, and it's going to get you farther in the process.
0: I feel like that's what we're seeing more and more is they keep using the word authentic, which is like a little cringe. We've used it a lot in terms of social media, but I try to explain it as like, you're just, it's almost oversimplifying things. Like you're just going to kind of be the role. What would you do in that situation? And I have some actors who have asked me like, but I I feel intimidated by this circumstance. I'm like, how would you say it? And then they say it. I'm Mm -hmm. like, that's probably how that like, why don't you do a take like that? And it feels ooh, do you ever
1: feel like you're not really doing anything? Yes. That's I was just thinking, like, <laughs> nine times out of ten, the note is do less. Just do less. You're putting too much weight on this very simple line. And and I get like we're actors, if you don't audition a lot, you get that one audition and you want to spend time on it and you want to do your script work and justify every line and have your objective and all the, and it's like the reality is. People don't put that much thought into everything they say. Sometimes it's just an impulse. Sometimes they're tired. Bring yourself and where you're at in that moment to whatever scene you're working on and see what happens.
0: And you're right. It's harder when you don't audition as much. It's harder to not put the... 10 years of actor training that you've been doing with like in-depth scenes and scene study class and audition class and this and that and not put it on to, can I get you a coffee? You know, it's really hard. Who holds you accountable to that? Do you have a group of people who you tape with consistently? Like how do you,
1: what's your Mm -hmm. team look like? Well, thankfully I do, I have a team in place. My number one go-to is obviously Kristen, who is my roommate and- Who was on this podcast on
0: season three. Bree I think exactly I think talking about agency yeah
1: yeah Yeah. and she works at an agency she studied acting in college worked she was the one who introduced me that studio Sarah Mornell's studio and so she has acting experience she has the experience behind the scene and now she writes full-time so she has the perfect, unique perspective. And she knows me personally. So if I'm in a mood or something, she can tolerate it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. But I
1: trust, I trust that feedback, you know? I think there's a, there's a, there's
0: a joy in having consistency in some sort of level because they can call you on your bullshit.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I don't know if you get this from your husband, but it's a similar relationship where like, if I can, if I would rather use Kristen just because I'm lazy and I want to wait till the very last minute and when I'm ready, I can just say, hey, I'm ready. Can you come out of your room now? <laughs> like procrastination. Um, and then I do have a bunch of other amazing actor friends who if I, if they're coming over for me to help them tape, sometimes they'll go, oh, hey, I just got this audition while you're here. Can we tape it? And it's just a handy little exchange.
0: What's your relationship like with classes and workshops and training at this point in your career?
1: I. I'm not in class right now, and I haven't done a workshop in years, to be honest with you. But I'm also very, very lucky in that I've I've had the same manager since 2013 or something. And
0: your manager has also been on this who podcast. Who has also been on
1: this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> MRK The management. amazing Matthew Kaufman.
0: Yes, he's, yes, yes. He's phenomenal. It's so fun. He He's so fun to watch, too, because he. I feel like I don't get a ton of agent and manager stories of starting from the bottom and building themselves up. And it's so fun to watch him like build this world that he's creating.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, it, in a lot of ways, he he really started from the bottom and has now created his own company. And, you know, we've gotten to grow in our careers together. And it's been the coolest, the coolest thing to experience and to share. How did you meet him? We met in college. We both got our BFA's in acting from Michigan State University and we met day 1 acting 101 our freshman year. So
0: that is a lovely example for anyone who's listening of what people don't think networking is, but it is. It's having friends and growing with them over a time period. That is that is a beautiful example of that.
1: Yeah. And and I again like I'm just so lucky because He came out to LA, he kind of decided he was going to go into management, and he just said, hey, Michelle, will you be my first client? And the relationship was so perfect because I had spent four years doing theater with this person. He knows my skill set. He knows my bag of tricks. The reason that I think my career got off to such a great start so quickly is because he knew what he was pitching. Inside and out. Yeah. And it was it was sincere, it was honest, and it was correct. So when he pitched, he would start pitching me to a casting office, and I would show up, and I would deliver on those promises. It just created and built so many strong relationships from the jump. The first the first SAG audition that he got me was the Blackish pilot, and I booked it.
0: That is such a funny clip, by the way. I was watching your reel <laughs> earlier, and I was dying. Thank you. That was Thank so you. funny.
1: That was your first SAG audition. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it was it was crazy, too, because there was no um, I remember there was no real like physical description. So I remember being in the the lobby and seeing like complete men and women, all different races, all different ages and being like, oh, wow, it's really anybody's game here. And it was a it was the tour guide, right? Yeah. And it was just just tour guide. Didn't have a name. I just went in because I felt like I knew I understood the joke and I understood the cadence of what they were going for to make it the bit that it was. And um, funnily enough, they called me back to do the series finale. I think I can say that. I don't know when this is coming out, but I think I can say that now. I shot the series finale in in November and they wanted to bookend the entire series with that same bit. So Dude, pretty special. Yeah, that's so cool. Also, what if you would have
0: never assumed you would have you were going to get called back from that Never. Role?
1: -mm. What a gift! Eight eight years later, and they were like, "Hey, would you be willing to come back and do that thing again?" You are like, "Absolutely!"
0: (laughs) When do you want me? Okay, well, you mentioned about that role that you said there was no physical description. Can we Mm -hmm. jump on that Hollywood physicality bandwagon a little bit? Absolutely. We live in a whole other world of of life because there are physical descriptions of people because we live in a visual medium. Mm -hmm. How has that affected your day-to-day life and your roles? You did something on Instagram stories about celebrities in fat suits. And you were like, Mm -hmm. come the fuck on. And so (laughs) let's – we'll get to that as well. But let's talk about like your work in the industry, in the body that you live in.
1: I I think I should probably preface that like there are privileges with all different sort of quote-unquote oppressed groups, right? I'm plus-size actress, but I'm definitely like – Hollywood-friendly fat mm. was that a term? I, I, there's, there's a certain, there's better terms, and I can't remember other women that speak much more eloquently on this issue than me have addressed. Sort of, at least when, when we were growing up, like I remember Jennifer Goodwin playing the fat girl in Mona Lisa Smile. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Goodwin is a size six, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but if you have a round face and little cheeks, then you'll play. The fat character, fat friend, plus size, whatever. And on the flip side, I'm a plus size woman, but I have a smaller face. It doesn't read as much on camera. So that both benefits me and can hurt me in certain instances. I just, I guess I just want to be upfront about like the different kinds of the body diversity and how we're all treated differently and it affects your casting differently. But for me, when I moved to LA, Rebel Wilson was huge. Melissa McCarthy was a huge movie star. Adele was it still is but Adele was you know really taking off and I feel like by the time I got to LA it was almost trendy casting wise and it got me in a lot of doors I don't take personally anything if it says you know this character in fact I did go in for some medical show and the character was like 600 pounds in the description and I was like I feel like nobody knows <laughs> what What weight means, (laughs) but I'm going to do this anyway. And if it gets me in a room, if it gets me seen by casting, like, what do I care? I, I know who I am. I know what I represent. And honestly, the thing that you might've grown up hating about yourself is going to be the thing that separates you and gets you indoors. So start embracing it now. Interesting.
0: Did you grow up hating that you were in a plus size body?
1: No. Um, I was, I was really lucky. I mean, I grew up As an athlete, I grew up with a dad who would grab me by the shoulders and tell me how strong I am. Um, Puberty punched me in the face a little bit, and that was a hard transition. But I was never super discouraged by the body that I had. Theater was a little bit of a bummer because if you live in a bigger body you're automatically a matriarch. I was 17 playing the mother or grandmother or aunt. (laughs) I was going to say, you can never be a princess. You're always going to be the queen. Exactly. The only times when I was doing theater that I ever got to be an ingenue or someone other than um, some kind of matriarch was when the director was a plus size woman. (laughs) Mm. So um, that's something that I think I had to grapple with early on. But when I got to LA, it was just kind of like, lucky them, I have something different to offer. So if we all start embracing that thing, whatever it is, your big ears, your freckles, your body, your boobs, your bald head, your big beard, whatever the thing is, the sooner you embrace it. And the sooner you tell your reps, like, Hey, I have this special, unique thing about me. Don't forget. I've gone in, I booked the, I booked the Pee Wee Herman movie because I had freckles. I mean, hopefully for other reasons too, but. I
0: saw it on your <laughs> resume, and I was like, "What was that job?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was all a bunch, a bunch of girls in a farmhouse, and one of the care—I mean, one of the characters had some weird line about her freckles, and I'm like, "Great, that was obviously a factor." <laughs> and if Amazing. I was hiding it, or if I took headshots and I blurred everything out, you know, that yeah. takes me out of the running for stuff.
0: Yeah. Have you ever felt pressured
1: to change your body? No. Never. Amazing. And I think, again, I think that there's privileges with that. And if anything, honestly, I've had a professor say like, and again, maybe you'll connect with this being similar in age and from a theater background, but there's a big saying where it's like, you either need to gain 50 pounds or lose 50 pounds. Gain 50. Yeah. I think I heard like gain, lose 20,
0: gain 10 or something like
1: that. Like some other, just the same, but it's the same shit. sort of dramatic like you either have to be ingenue thin because it was the you know 2000s whatever or you need to be the fat fat person that's all we talk about and that's your whole bit (laughs) it's like people of all sizes exist in the world and the you hollywood in particular is catching up i feel like overseas there are a lot more programs that just never make a big deal about that Mm -hmm. quote unquote real people are very in right now. And I hope that stays.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's much more fun, I feel like, to watch. If you're going to go with authentic casting, the stuff we were talking about before about don't put on the costume of being the person, then I also want to see people. And I – I still struggle with the idea of this translating, though, to most of our leads. I feel like we are tiptoeing in the direction of having more realistic people. And, you know, there's a lot of, I think, sitcoms and stuff, but especially in the age group of 20s to 30s. And maybe you have a different impression of this because we might see the world through different lenses. But I feel as though most of the lead characters are still Hollywood thin.
1: I agree to an extent i think you also might be in a because of, you're in a different category you probably go out for a lot more network television probably a lot more cw a lot more freeform i mean yes you're casting me you're casting me perfectly yes. okay <laughs> <laughs> and those are um networks that skew very pretty a little old school. Yeah. Very sort of conventional. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and not to say, I mean, all of those networks I just named are also have great diversity, but you're going to see a lot more, I hate the language, I wish we had better language for it. but like, I know. I struggle with the people. terms. Yeah. I don't, I don't, please know I'm being very general and obviously everyone is a real person. Um <laughs> But streaming services, premium cable tends to take more risks and there's just more material and there's there's so much more programming than there ever was. So, yes, major networks are still a little bit traditional in that sense, but it's only going to get better in my opinion. But there's a lot of pressure on you. Like I said, that your your typecast is very different. And and I have a lot of empathy for that. Thankfully, (laughs) the bar is low for me. Um, No one (laughs) in Hollywood really expects me to be super hot. So they're only going to be impressed. (laughs) You're killing me. I get I get the best of both worlds. <laughs> I mean, no, that's fucking magical.
0: And I want that to be, I want that to be in the zeitgeist. I want it to be less about looking like what we thought in 2001 was a, a person who should be on television because, you know, you saw my reel that was- people, somebody messaged me and was like, you don't really look like an actor in your stories because I do Instagram stories with no makeup on, like in pajamas. And like, I don't put on filters. Like I just don't have fucking time. I don't give a shit. And when someone said that, I thought, wow, if you're looking at me like that, what TV are you watching? What media are you ingesting?
1: Like there's, I, what? First of all, that drove me crazy because (laughs) you don't use filters. You won't wear, wear makeup. You still look amazing like <laughs> stupid well, gorgeous you. so anyone being like you don't look like an actress is bananas to me and secondly it's it's funny that way of thinking kept me from admitting that i wanted to be a film and television actress for a long time i would tell relatives i would tell friends like oh yeah i'm going to move to new york and do theater even though deep down i knew that's not what i wanted but it was easier for people to stomach And reconcile, like, but you don't look like what you know. Midwest suburban people assume as because we don't pay attention to how many people are actually on television, and we're only if you're only thinking about the Angelina Jolies of of movies, and and you're only thinking of these super hot, I don't know, Riverdale kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, have you watched? Are you really paying attention? There are so many characters. There's so much room. There's so much content. Once I was able to get over that, it's just such a gift. That
0: is – it's so true though and I wonder how many other people avoid
1: saying that to
0: family and friends because we see it, especially if you're not in this business. It's easier when you're in these cities, I personally think, to see the breadth of actors that are working. Because I think that the the mental capacity to understand the roles that exist – and I think this is also the same thing that comes up when people message me and say like, I'm, I'm 28, I'm 31, is it too late for me to start in this business?
1: Crazy. I know. the answer is not – if anything, that's fun because you bring something new to the table. Someone who's been acting since they were a kid don't have the same energy, the same – again, air quotes, like real ex- life experience – yeah, that like like I like Phyllis from the office. I don't know why I'm referencing the office so much. But like Phyllis yeah, from the from office She's going to have yeah, like there's going to be a different vibe that that creates that sh- that show environment that feels real versus someone who's been in the industry forever and just has different. Like if you're starting later in 28s not late in life. Silly. I know. Um Well, <laughs> like why couldn't you? Why couldn't you? It might take a little longer to like get seen and okay, you might not be like cast and I don't know. You're not going to be Daenerys or something, <laughs> but who cares? Yeah. Who cares?
0: Because I, you, you, it'll take a bit longer to start building your network and you're going, you're going to audition for different types of roles, but there's, it really shows there's space for everyone. I want to, so I want to hearken much. back though to the celebrities in fat suits. Totally. This is where I was like, I need someone to talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me your feelings, Michelle.
1: (laughs) Well, okay. For starters, I understand from an acting standpoint, we all get into acting because we want to transform. We want to experience different lives. We want to try on other people's shoes. I get it. I understand who doesn't love a wig, who doesn't love a good costume, who doesn't love a prosthetic. As an artist, I can empathize with the desire to do that. As a fat person (laughs) and a fat actress, I hate the trend of fat suits, particularly when... (laughs) I'm just going to use Renee Zellweger as an example because that's the one that's in the Zeitgeist. I don't know the story. Every time I complain about this, someone slides into my DMs and is like, well, maybe she has like has to lose weight in the show and like they don't have time to whatever, whatever. I'm like, OK, maybe, probably not, but sure. I read um, I read the script. It's not what it's about. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. Um, for Renee, like and, and there's a case by case basis. I loved um, Paulson, Sarah Paulson.
0: Yeah, oh, Sarah Paulson oh my
1: God. in the the Clinton scandal story, sh- her performance was incredible. Did I, I I do I feel like that fat suit was necessary? Not really. Did she do the makeover of that character? Because in real life, that woman did lose a ton of weight. It wasn't even part of the story. So again, like, did she need to take that role? No. Was she definitely the best person to do it? I doubt it. She was phenomenal but there's so many talented actors out there. And then you have Renee and Sarah Paulson has since gone on the record and kind of acknowledged and apologized and said, she probably wouldn't do it again, which I appreciate what's more than we get from most actors. Renee is worse to me because I grew up with Bridget Jones and she gave a lot of girls our age, a lot of complexes because we all remember Bridget Jones being so fat for her 140 pounds that she would write in her diary. And I remember growing up thinking that's, oh, no, though no, that's so ugly. And she gains a smattering of weight for it. Congratulations. And then she gets to turn around and play all these other parts. She gets to be Judy Garland. No one's ever going to call me to try an audition for Judy Garland. And then she decides she's going to produce this show about a real woman who is fat and does crazy things. Like, what? I just, you're not the best person for the role. Why do you have to have everything? I, and that that was also, way more soapboxy than I <laughs>
0: – No, I'm glad you said it because also if it doesn't have to do with – does it make or break the character? Like I don't – you know what I mean? Like, right. And then it's like are we just like in awe? Like, oh my God, this beautiful person can just be so ugly. You know what I mean? Is it just the
1: shock factor? Yeah, oh, it's Is so that like amazing. So – it's just – it's it's complicated but it harkens back to – all sort of diversity conversations because a lot of the arguments are also, well, you need a name and there's just not that many like plus size actors that can like bring the box office. It's like, right, but it's a catch 22 because you're not going to get actors at that level of fame if you don't give them jobs to become famous and bring box office numbers. You have to make those actors. Exactly. Like the the same conversation goes for trans actors, for, for, Mm -hmm. Middle Eastern, whatever the thing is when they're like, oh, no, we need to cast a white person in uh, Prince of Egypt or whatever the thing is. Yeah. <laughs> You're creating your own
0: problem. It's a cycle. Yep. You know, I think uh, – is it – they? I just listened to a great interview from the showrunner of Winning Time, the show about the Lakers. Uh-huh. And they were like, we – when we started casting that, we were like, holy shit, we have to cast – basketball players as actors to play these famous people, but we need them to be good actors also, but they need to be like six foot seven or like <laughs> seven foot two or like, and all these incredible things. And, and they fucking did it. They did it. And thank God they changed Go the name figure. of the show because the show was supposed to be called Showtime and it was going to be I <laughs> So that was clearly their biggest issue. Um I auditioned in that office, not for that show, but at this time when they were casting it, and there were big signs on the doors that said, like, Showtime while they were producing it. And I was like, but it's amazing,
1: HBO. Um,
0: but anyway, remember, back to the point.
1: <laughs> I keep calling it Showtime and having to catch myself, and I'm glad that that's the reason. Yeah. I was like, I could have sworn. Yeah, that's what I they announced
0: it. the name as, and then, you know, back to the drawing board. Um, <laughs> like, but oh, anyway, yeah, like – Maybe don't. But, but it's possible, right? It's such a good, like – And these casting directors are so talented and we could talk, I could talk for days about how they should win awards, but casting directors exist for this purpose. They find Mm -hmm. people and they mine out gold and, you know, it just feels like people exist to play these roles.
1: And that really ties back to the thing that I harp on the most, which is when the casting director is looking for that very specific type, that's how you get in the door. So again, if you, the sooner you embrace those things that set you apart, the more successful you're going to be. That's beautiful. I'm definitely using that as a clip. Um,
0: (laughs) What's a favorite role that you've done? Because your resume is super fun and super – I feel like every role is very different, which is funny that we're talking about who are you authentically, but also you can be this um, southern woman and also you can be this tour guide and also you can be – like it's really fun to look at and like kappa kappa – was it kappa kappa die? Is that what it was? Yeah. I forget. Yeah. Like that was really fun. Uh, Excuse me, ma'am, sorority girl. Hello. I I would love to be in that with you. (laughs) What's been your, one of the favorite things you've done so far?
1: Um, I think, I think I would have to say I'm dying up here. Everything has been amazing and really fun. Um, but I think that one, no, I just shot a movie though. That's, that was an amazing experience. Oh, out of the things that are out. Of the things that are out that I would say I'm dying up here. If only because I, I, I love an accent. I love a period costume, I really felt like that was my first chance at having a recurring arc that felt very fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was just, it was just the biggest role um, on camera up until that point where I felt like I was actually doing what I trained to do. Cause so much of the things we do now is servicing the story and here's your her coffee kind of stuff. Um, and that, that was the first time I really felt like I had something to sink my teeth into. It was, it was, a really great experience.
0: What do you do in between workings? Because if you look at your resume, it looks like you work all the time. Mm-hmm. And I would like looks to know- Looks are so deceiving. I <laughs> Do I agree? <laughs> what do you do in your in-between times? And what are like the lengths of your in-between times? I would love to know kind of the, that's kind of the magic spot, right? Because we can talk about the highlights all day long, but but what about your downtime?
1: I do a lot of things. I mean, I have a ton of side hustles. Um help others with self tapes, I coach, I pull footage and edit reels for people. I walk dogs and uh house sit and do do a lot of like extraneous little little jobs to keep me um stimulated and give me a reason to leave the house. But there's a ton of down there's a ton of downtime even with the recurring on the morning show you know that's only a couple days a month tops so any covid was a nice gift cuz it gave me some time to really uh try out some new hobbies yeah, I remember you. Did you you painted you painted a room, right? I painted so many walls in my apartment. I painted a, a, a on canvas. I tried to learn calligraphy. I tried to learn how to draw. I bought roller skates. I bought a switch. I did all of the COVID things that everybody does, but it was a g- did you make and I, I started writing. I didn't do bread because every time – I refused to go to the go- grocery store, number one. I just – I hate it even not in COVID times. And every t- the few times that I did go, it never – what do you mean, yeast or something? One of the main ingredients was always out of stock. <laughs> yeah, everyone bought the yeast,
0: which I was like, you bitches I haven't eaten bread in 10 years. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so that's
1: was the one thing I didn't do. But all the other ones, I checked the boxes and and started reading again. I hadn't read for pleasure in so long, so – a lot of those peripheral creative pursuits was such a gift for my acting because it was one artistic outlet that wasn't being monetized. So much of what we do now, the instant reaction is like, oh, you should you should sell that. You should, You should put that on social media. You should create an account. You should find a way to make money off of it. And the second you do, it's like all the joy gets sucked out. So I've really relished in the opportunity to have creative outlets and and hobbies that are just mine. We are our product. Like it's it's hard on the spirit to to be an actor and have to kind of sell your identity as a as a job.
0: Even at the point where you are now, do you still have moments where you're curious if you're going to work again?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. After I booked after I booked morning show, I didn't work for I didn't book anything for 2 years tell me
0: more that's the t- that i feel like this we get this sense from social media that once you start booking you just continue booking and i am here to drive that point home that that is not true and there is something to have momentum and confidence in your auditions oh yeah that's different than actually booking roles
1: completely and and it's so easy to look at someone's resume and be like, oh, because of the way, how long post-production takes and how long it takes for something to come out, it looks like an actor is just working every year. But it's all it's all fake and it's it's terrifying and you, you book something and then you say it on the podcast all the time and it's just completely true. There's momentum and everything ebbs and flows and you just have to roll with it and get a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hard to do, especially when you come off of, you know, shooting the, the morning show, for example, you were on set a lot, even though it was like yeah. only certain days in a month. Did you have off? Did you have what do they call it? Post-show blues when like things wrap and you had a co- totally quiet zone?
1: Oh, yeah. Being on set on a semi-regular basis just gives you so much purpose. I hate to say it. I mean, we we definitely as actors have a tendency to attach self-worth to bookings and and work. And it's, it's always a, a come down when you stop and you go, okay, what's next? And you're waiting for the phone to ring and you don't really have control over what's happening, uh, what, what's trending, what's casting, who you know, who your reps are. like There's only so much that we can do and yet we put all this pressure on ourselves as, as if we can control those things. And you really can't. it's This business, in my opinion, is 50% luck. I'm talented, but I'm also incredibly lucky that I have a manager who saw that talent. I'm incredibly lucky that I moved out when I did. I'm incredibly lucky that I have parents who support myself. I'm incredibly lucky that I have a group of friends that are in the trenches with me, that I have community, that I have a roof over my head. You know, your talent is only half of it. What systems have you put in place to deal with your mental well-being in those type of times? I let myself be sad. It took me a while to get to that point, but when I'm having this wave of post-show blues, post-show depression, I give myself a day to spend it in bed. Like it's it's okay to allow yourself to indulge in that feeling. We don't have to be production machines all the time. It's hard, right? It's it's incredibly hard. And and I hate, I'm, it's another thing I've been reflecting on a lot is just the pressure we put on ourselves in this weird sort of moralizing of productivity, moralizing of health, moralizing of of all these aspects of our lives where it's like, just because I didn't make money one day doesn't mean that I'm a bad person or that I'm lazy. I'm just mm. a human being who needed a break. We're all kind of brainwashed again. And that ties into actors attaching their self-worth to booking.
0: Yeah. And I think we're kind of sold the idea too that, you know, the people who are succeeding are hustling and Mm -hmm. the word hustle just should mean nonstop. And, you know, I get the question a lot, like how much acting is enough acting? And like, when do I get to kind of turn off? And, you know, do you act? A question that came up a lot recently was, do you act every day? I was like, that sounds exhausting. I mean, I'll, I can't wait till I'm a series regular and I finish a week of acting. and I'm like, oh, thank God, two days off. Like, I can't wait for that. Of
1: course. But right now, do I act every day? No. And you really can't manufacture the on set experience either. Even if you were doing some kind of like everyday self tape practice, it doesn't, it's not flexing the same muscles of being on a set, hurrying up and waiting working one-on-one with a, a a scene partner, being in the environment of that scene, having a director, the onset culture. I mean, there's just so many elements. And we, again, put so much pressure on ourselves as if we have control over it and we don't. Like, of course, practice, be an actor, take a class, do self-tapes. thats all wonderful, but... We picked a job where you can't really know if you can do it until you do it. Yeah. Wow. That's like the understatement (laughs) of the year. It's so true though.
0: It's so true. And some people I think really get into acting and I've had actors tell me they go to set and they come home and they're like, oh, I didn't actually enjoy being on set. I'm like, you know what? I get it. Because being on set is so different than than theater. It's different than being in an audition room. It's different than – and it's not what you see on TV. It's
1: very, very different. Completely. And you can't train for that, really. Auditioning is a totally different different muscle.
0: So good luck, everyone. Um, we- <laughs> <laughs> Just going to leave everybody with that. <laughs> oh, oh, God. All right. Well, we're going to turn things up a little bit. We're going to go to the Patreon questions. Oh, my God. Amazing. Some of these we might have already covered, but oh, this is kind of fun. When you got the audition for the morning show and then you booked the role you ended up getting, did you let yourself feel like you deserved it slash were ready for it or did you hesitate with any self-doubt? I
1: I don't have a memory of feeling – I have definitely felt that in the past, but not at that point. By the time Morning Show came around and the process had been involved. And, and honestly, the fact that I auditioned for a different part, and even though I didn't get it, they turned around and still wanted me to be a part of the show. That was such a validating feeling that yeah, what I didn't. A compliment. Yeah, yeah. To be like, hey, this isn't the right, quite right fit. But but we have this other part that we think would work for you. That's, yeah, it's so comforting to to realize that they still wanted me. In it enough to yeah. offer that. So that's the dream. Yeah. Did you yeah, celebrate? I'm, Did you like have your little victory? Did you? Was it? That was that during COVID or before COVID? It was before COVID. It was. um okay. It came out in 2019, so we I probably booked it in 2018. I I don't. I remember taking phone calls and <laughs> and figuring out the logistics, but I don't remember. I'm sure I celebrated. I'm sure. But it was, again, it was kind of that weird transition where you're like, I booked a job, but I don't have any lines. Okay, I guess. Let's
0: right. see what happens. And also <laughs> it's for this new channel called Apple. I don't know. Exactly. Like- <laughs> it,
1: it all was so new and you're just kind of like, I'm, I guess I'm going to show up and, and it'll be a cool experience. And it it was. I'm sure I celebrated. This is a terrible answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Do you, you Do you
0: have any sort of routine? Like after you book something, do you have like a celebratory thing? Do you always do a thing?
1: No, I should do that. Oh, that sounds really nice. You should really do nice. that. Yeah, give yourself a victory dance. Yeah, I'm sure that I got it. Yeah, again, terrible answer. I should do that. We really need to celebrate yeah. our wins more. We, it's yeah, just we really do. Okay, so the next COVID time you come has on this podcast, my brain, yes, yep. Yes. The next
0: time you come on this podcast, I want you to tell me what your victory dance is. It could be going out to dinner. <laughs> it could be dancing in your kitchen. It could be like you know making a, a yourself a breakfast or whatever it is. I want to know what it is.
1: That post this part and have everyone just comment their victory dance. Their yeah, celebration. I want to know
0: how we celebrate because we. Need, I need inspiration. We, I need more of it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get we'll get you some ideas. Uh, let's see. How do you prep differently for your different audition? Oh, how do you prep differently for auditions versus an actual shoot?
1: I don't think it's that different. Um, I think when I'm prepping for an audition, I follow. My instincts, depending on what the turnaround is, um, I kind of have the same routine of reading the script. This is a little silly, but I always retype my sides once I've read it enough times um, so that when I print it out and I'm working on it in, in front of a camera for my self-tape, um, I don't feel so overwhelmed. It's usually, if you retype it, it'll usually be fewer pages too. So I hate holding like seven, eight pages. When they're like half Um, crossed out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it just makes me feel less overwhelmed and also gets me out of my head if I get too married to certain directions, certain actions um, that aren't as necessary.
0: Yeah. I had a previous podcast guest, uh, Amanda Payton, who handwrites hers to help her learn them. So that's not that weird at all.
1: Which is a great exercise for memorization too. And then for going to set, I think I just revisit – I'll just reread the material and try to get a really good night's sleep and like moisturize.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Hydrate. Cause you know, they're going to give you different pages. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's like, there's no reason to stress out. You got the job and you're going to have so much time between your odds are you're arriving earlier than all the other big stars. You're going to have to get hair and makeup. You're going to get breakfast. You're going to sit in your trailer for a couple hours. You're going to get dressed. They're going to check your outfit. I mean, you have so much time that I try not to like, freak out all the days leading up, or it just creates this energy that's not productive. Everything's going to be nice and gradual. You're always the last one to shoot. It's They're going to yes. shoot
0: out the stars, and then you're going to go. Exactly. Even though you've gotten there first, they'll, you'll you mm-hmm. you'll shoot last.
1: And even if it's your scene, yeah, it's not your coverage. So it's going to be another <laughs> several hours until they actually turn it around. <laughs> this is just like, you. even if you don't know, don't do this, like show up knowing your lines. But even if you don't know your lines, you'll know them by the time it's <laughs> the camera's on you. You're, there's so much time. There is that weird feeling though
0: of when, you know, I, I remember when I filmed AP bio, I think I had like three lines. And by the time they'd gotten to me, I had been there for 12 hours and I was like, oh my God. And I had to pull out my sides. Cause I would forgot.
1: Yes. Yes. Your brain shorts out and you're like, I've been saying, I, Oh, what are we doing? Especially when the camera
0: turns to you, it's like, uh, uh, and i'm not camera yep. shy but like it it's a whole different no
1: it's a, it's a completely different, different energy and suddenly suddenly you know you got to run your race and you've been sitting on the bench for 8 hours
0: yes uh okay next question what is something about recurring in a series that took you by surprise
1: just how much easier it gets how much it e- easier it makes your job when you like we talked about before, everything's a little more familiar and you feel like you belong and you're a part of a family, you're a part of a story that's being told over the course of several weeks. That's the biggest surprise and the biggest gift for sure. Yeah.
0: Not having to prove yourself at work every day.
1: Yeah. Just like that fear. I mean, it's not completely gone because morning show's a good example of I'm there. I'll be there for a few days, but. Some of those days I won't have any lines. We really are just kind of sitting in the space. And then the one time they do give you a line, you do feel a little bit like, this is my time. Finally. (laughs) Don't (laughs) screw this up. It's going to be on my reel. Yes. In fact, in season two, there was this like (laughs) walk and talk and... Uh, Karen Pittman who plays Mia is like walking down the hall and through the control room and into the back room. And I had this like mouthful of a line pitching her a story and it was mortifying because every time I messed up, they had to go all the way back. (laughs) And you're like, I am, I'm a small recur on this show. And I, (laughs) I finally got my paragraph god help me like by the third take karen so sweet she's like just relax everything's gonna be fine it's like you don't understand we never get to speak
0: (laughs) you know what's so funny is because i remember seeing that scene i
1: was like yeah michelle (laughs) airtime so exciting oh so so embarrassing
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i don't know if you maybe this happened to you but um when my, whenever I've done something in the scenes leading up to it, if I'm like in a the background, those are always the ones that like my parents will like take a picture of that with their phone and then share it. And they're like, Sam's on this show. And I'm like, mom, You're that's like, not even that- the scene I was in. Like I was an extra at that point. Like there's a whole, there's a whole piece where my face is on the camera, but like you showed a picture of like the scene where I was an extra.
1: <laughs> I had a relative post about my Grey's Anatomy episode and, and post a, screenshot of a different woman from the episode <laughs> and I was like this is so kind this is so nice and so-and-so that's not me <laughs> thank you so much it was, probably on, it was definitely on Facebook wasn't it oh yep 100 <laughs> percent on a Facebook wall somewhere people commenting oh so great she looks great I'm like that is an entirely different white brown-haired woman from the episode. <laughs> oh, God. You got to give our relatives love- credit, though. There, there's, yes. you know, there's support in that. Support is support. We're going to take it <laughs> or we can get it. <laughs> oh, God. Um, let's see. And then lastly,
0: we had a question. This came up on a previous podcast as well. But uh, how do you, and we've also kind of hit on this in a second, but how do you feel about growing your network and what have you learned
1: you know what? I've learned that even though it feels like you're doing everything in a void, everything that you do is building to something. I actually had a meeting with someone who works in casting at Apple recently. And she said she saw me years ago in an audition for a pilot it's my first series regular, and she said, "I thought you were so great. I've had a Google alert on you since then." And that was whoa six years ago, I want to say. And now she's at Apple, and I'm at Apple, and we got to have a, a Zoom meeting, and it was it 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 was such a phenomenal converse, uh, confirmation that every audition tape, every room you go into, every person you meet especially in casting, it's their job and they're good at it. They remember the work that you do. Consistent good work will pay off eventually, even if it feels like nothing's happening and you send that tape off and you never hear back. It doesn't mean that it's not building towards something in the future. That's such a perfect place to
0: end. That was so beautiful. And I think it's so nice because we do live in self-tape world and it feels like we just throw our work into the abyss and. You know, we hear it echo all the way to the bottom. So it's yeah, really nice to hear it's that. It's so lonely. A beautiful story. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's really, really Dude, special. So that's
0: so cool. You're so rad. I'm so glad Instagram made us friends, even though <laughs> I know <laughs> one like, day, day in person. person. <laughs> you know, this is networking. We'll get there. That, you, like, there you, you go. Purpose. It's happening. It's happening. It's <laughs> the relationships. <laughs> even in close proximity. Um, Where do you want to direct people to? Is there anything you have coming out? Do you want to show them your Instagram? Where do you like to send people?
1: Instagram is Michelle Meredith one. I also have a private Instagram called MM self tapes that I use for self tape may and now I just kind of post acting related things. It's it's private because I want to keep it really real for actors. So if you request to follow just make sure that it's I can see that you are also an actor and then TikTok at freckle dots if you're into that kind of thing it's a little yep. it's a little loosey-goosey over there uh and then I am going to be in the season finale of young Sheldon this year the series finale of blackish and I have a movie coming out hopefully in the near future yes. <laughs> called my divorce party so uh everybody set up your google alert <laughs> Yeah, just like the casting director. We got to Google That's it right. For
0: you. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This was absolutely amazing. Thank
1: you. I'm so glad we finally got to make it happen. This is awesome.